I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. The big question is this, if government contracting is supposed to be so easy, why do so many companies fail to win even a single contract while others dominate the market? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. In today's episode, you go one-on-one with best-selling author and master business coach Michael Lejeune to learn exactly how to take your government contracting business to the next level. Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contracting. I want to start off today by saying that yes, this episode is primarily for folks that are brand new to government contracting. However, if you've been in the business any amount of time, I think you're going to get some really great tips from this. Probably some fundamental things that maybe you've overlooked over the last few years or just some really great reminders. So even if you've been in the business a really long time, I highly encourage you to stick around for this episode. And if you're brand new in the business, and you need some help with some of the things that I'm going to talk about today, I highly recommend you stick around all the way to the end of the podcast. I'm going to talk about how we can help you with some of these challenges because guess what? We don't just run a podcast. We actually help government contractors with all of these challenges as well. So I'll talk about that towards the end. So let me jump in and say a few things about government contracting. Before you get into government contracting, one of the things that I think it's really, really important for you to understand is if the market is actually good for you. There are so many people that get into this market because they heard from someone somewhere that this was a good idea. Somebody said, hey, why don't you sell to the government? And they thought, oh, okay, that'll be easy. Well, it's not always easy, that's for sure. And so here's a couple of ways that you can actually make sure this is a good market for you. So let's dive in and look at some of the ways to figure out if this is a good market. So one of the first things that I I always tell people or always ask people is how long have you been in business? If you have just started your business and you don't have any commercial past performance, this may be a difficult business for you. The reason is you don't have anything to leverage when you are talking to clients, you don't have cash flow, all those sort of things. So if you're brand new in business, you may want to get some commercial clients, spend a year or two doing that, and then get into the government. However, this really depends on what your background is. If you actually have a background in government contracting, maybe you know some people in government contracting, you know your way around the business, that may not be the case. It may make sense for you to ease in the market right out of the gate. But for the average person who doesn't know anything about government contracting, I usually recommend you spend that year or two getting your commercial past performance before 
you jump into the government. So the next thing is your status. Once you start a new government contracting business, you're going to have a small business status. Depending on who you are in your background, you may qualify for other statuses. Woman-owned, 8A, service-disabled, veteran-owned, veteran-owned, hub-zone. There's all these different types of statuses, and there's more than I just shared there. There's all these different statuses you may qualify for. What you need to know is that your status is not your value. That's number one. And your status will not just get you contracts. Think about that for a moment. Everybody else who has that same status is competing for the same contracts you are. Your status is not a differentiator. It's not that game changer that you think it will be. And so often people get in business, they get a status and they think, hey, that's the golden ticket. Money's going to rain down from the heavens. And it's just not the case. So those are a couple of things that I want you to think about. The next thing is before you dive in, uh, I want you to identify your NAICS codes. Your NAICS codes, and NAICS is spelled N-A-I-C-S, your NAICS codes are how the government buys what you buy. There's also this thing called PSC codes, your product service codes. Maybe the government uses your PSC codes, but most of the time there's at least two or three NAICS codes that identify what you buy. You need to go into SAM.gov, so S-A-M dot gov and look up these NAICS codes to see is the government buying what you sell. There's another system out there called usaspending.gov. You can go into that one and you want to go in there and just identify is there a market for what you sell? Because yes, the government may be buying what you sell, but maybe it's only buying a few hundred thousand dollars a year of what you sell. I've actually seen that and I've seen NAICS codes where they're buying billions of dollars of that NAICS code. If there's a really small market for it, it may be really difficult for you to get into that market. We identify your NAICS codes, possibly some PSC codes. We go look up SAM.gov, USAspending.gov, and we see if the government is in fact buying what you sell. Because if you do the research and you're like, man, I'm not finding anything in this system, it's going to be like pushing a rock uphill. It's going to be very, very difficult for you to break into this market. So we want to do those things before we get in the market. Make sure you've either been in business long enough or have a background in government. You know, Not put too much emphasis on your, uh, your statuses, put more emphasis on the value you provide and articulating the value you provide. And then determining, does the government actually buy what I sell? Those are a couple of things you want to do before you get you get going. So once we identify that there's enough volume and that there's a need for your products or services, from there we zero in on your top buyers. If you pull the SAM report on your top buyers, a lot are you know, on the people who buy what you sell, that's your top buyers. So you're already going to have that information from the last step I asked you to do. So it's kind of like knocking out two birds with one stone when you actually do that research report. If you don't know how to do the research report, you can either reach out to your local PTAC. Um, that's a good organization. So you can just Google PTAC in your state. P-T-A-C, and they can help you out with this stuff, or you can reach out to us and we'll help you pull that report so you can get started there. Once you do that, you're going to identify two or three agencies that you want to focus on. You don't want to focus on everything under the sun, and you don't want to make the mistake that a lot of people do of sitting in SAM.gov looking for opportunities. That's not how you win them. If it's already on SAM, you've probably lost that opportunity. What you actually want to do is identify Identify who buys what you sell. Then the next step is to actually identify how they're buying what you sell, which contract vehicles they use. Are they using the open 
market? Are they using certain statuses a lot like WSB, SDVSB, 8A, whatever it might be? How are they procuring the things that you actually sell? You identify all of that. And then the next thing you should do is you actually start calling on the agencies that you want to sell to. When you're calling on the agencies you want to sell to, you're going to call on the small business office first. That's the first place you want to call. The small business office should be, in most cases, if not all cases, an advocate for you and what you sell. And so you want to identify them, call on them first, and then get a warm intro into the contracting officers. You also want to do your homework through this process of not just calling them straight out of the blue. A lot of these organizations have forecasts, they have websites, they have information in that SAM report you might have pulled on contracts they've already got out there. So there's a lot of research you can do so that you can actually have an intelligent conversations with these folks. Another thing you want to do in prep before you call is make sure that you have your marketing materials identified. The main one that you need is a capability statement. So you're going to hear that a lot. If you've never heard of that, it's just a one-page marketing piece that talks a little bit about your company, a little bit about your past performance. You're going to hear that a lot as well. Your past performance are the contracts that you've worked on for companies. And then you're going to have your basic information on it. So it used to be Dunn's number. Now it's your SAM UEI number that's on there. You get that when you create a SAM account, your cage code, any of your statuses, certifications, all those kind of things go on there. The, the areas that you specialize in, all that stuff is in there for you. If you don't have a capability statement template, you can go to federal-access.com, sign up for a free account in there. And there's two, uh, maybe three different templates that we have in there for free that you can download. And then you just adjust the capability statement to your company and you're off to the races. So that's the number one marketing piece that you're going to need. The contracting officers are going to ask for it. Your small business office may ask for it. Clients are going to ask for it. Teaming partners are going to ask for it. That is the number one thing everybody's going to want you to have. So make sure you have a good capability statement. Once you start calling contracting officers, initially you're not trying to win a contract from calling a contracting officer. You're actually calling to actually learn more about the contracting officers. Your primary focus is to get to know them, start to build a relationship with them, start to ask them intelligent questions about, hey, I saw this thing in your forecast. It's currently looking like a Q2, Q3 thing. Is that still on track? Hey, I've got some questions about this opportunity. Is it going to come out small business? Is it going to come out as SDVOSB or 8A? That sort of thing. You know, it looks like right now it's not, it's just going to come out full and open. Would you consider maybe putting that out as 8A or whatever it may be? There's all kind of little things like that, but it's information gathering or, or intelligence gathering, however you want to call it, and getting to know that contracting officer. That's where you're starting. And you're trying to find out as much information as you can so that you can do the next step, which is identify teaming partners to reach out to. Teaming relationships are really how most people get started in government contracting. Most people will win their first contract this way. And basically, you're a subcontractor to the prime. And the prime is a person who won the contract. What you're looking for when you're making those initial calls is anything of use of value that you can use when you call the teaming partners. Again, if you've pulled that SAM report, it's not only told you who buys what you sell, it's also given you a list of the vendors, which are your potential teaming partners. People who are already selling to the people that you 
you want to sell to. And that's the most simple way I can put it. Most people make the mistake when they call a teaming partner of saying, hey, we're reaching out to you today because we want to work with Lockheed Martin because, you know, I know the name or Raytheon or General Dynamics or, you know, the, the, the list of names goes on and on and on. And we're brand new. How does that come across, right? We're brand new, but people will say that we're brand new in the industry. We're service disabled, veteran owned, 8A, woman owned, hub zone. Uh, you know, they'll fill in the blank with all that kind of stuff. And we do IT work. And, you know, if you have any IT work that you need an 8A for, you know, we would love to be the company of choice. Well, guess what? General Dynamics has had 50 calls in the last month from people just like that. They are probably going to be very polite to you. Say, hey, send me your capability statement, and then you'll never hear from them again. So what you want to do is gather intelligence from all those sources that I was talking about earlier, and then you can call General Dynamics or whoever it is and say, hey, I was talking to Sue Smith over at Fort Hood about this opportunity that's coming out this summer, and I think we'd make you really competitive on that opportunity. Can we discuss teaming on that? Now, that's a very different conversation than the first one where you basically were just begging for some work. If you follow the strategy up into this point, you've noticed, hey, we've kind of skipped over, you know, writing RFPs and just trying to use what I call the brute force method in SAM to just try and get anything to fall for us. We've skipped over begging contracting officers for work and any of that sort of stuff. We've used all of our information and intelligence to get to a teaming partner that already has passport performance with that customer already has leverage at that customer who can probably bring us on a team and help us win. Now, why did I walk you down this path instead of saying, hey, let me teach you how to write RFPs? I walk you down this path because it's the fastest way to get into the market. It's the absolute fastest way. Most people, if they're going to win their first contract this way, they can do it in three to six months versus six to 12 months. That's a lot faster for people to do it like this. So I highly encourage using the teaming approach when you're first getting in the market. It's just so much easier. You learn a lot from teaming. You're going to learn about the proposal process. You're going to learn about working with your government contractors, you know, other folks that are in the market as well. You're going to learn about working with the actual government, how they do things. You're going to learn you know, and build a relationship with that contracting officer. You're going to build a relationship with people that are on site. You're going to gain so much value as as a subcontractor that you can then roll over into being your own prime. So for most people, what I recommend is your first 12 to 36 months, really focus on 70% of the opportunities you put in your pipeline should all be teaming opportunities. Only about 20 or 30% should be stuff where you're priming, but those should be smaller contracts. Anything that you put in your opportunity pipeline for you to prime, it should probably be under $250,000. It should be smaller small contracts. You can manage by yourself, get your feet wet. Don't start this game by bidding on $10 million contracts. That's not where you want to start. You want to start on the smaller stuff when you're new to government contracting. If you follow this path that I've laid out for you, at this point, it's rinse and repeat for that first 12 to 36 months. Calling on contracting officers and small business office, gaining intelligence, and then going to teaming partners with opportunities where you can be a sub, they can prime and you can work together to, to win stuff. Now, it's going to be different teaming partners for every different agency that you talk to. Even if you're talking to, let's say, the Army, within the Army, there's all these different bases. You're going to want to look through the data because maybe Lockheed Martin is the right 
teaming partner for you at Fort Hood, but at Fort Benning, maybe it's General Dynamics. You're just going to want to look at the data and see which contractor is the right fit at each agency. And also, don't shy away from other small companies. There may be companies that are doing half a million, million, three million dollars in revenue. They may make great teaming partners for you. You don't always have to look at the large companies for that. Understand that at this point, it's rinse and repeat. Gather intelligence, take it to a teaming partner. Gather intelligence, take it to a teaming partner. That should be 70% of the activity you're performing to put opportunities in your pipeline. And look, naturally as you go, those teaming partners will want you to prime on certain things. So especially if you're using a large or you're using another company that doesn't have one of your statuses, they may say, hey, look, here's an opportunity at Fort Hood and it's SDVOSB. We happen to be 8A, but this SDVOSB opportunity is something that you should prime because that's one of your statuses. And then next time, you know, maybe we can prime an, an 8A opportunity. And don't be afraid to take teaming partners that are doing well at one organization like the Army and bring them over to the Navy. If you're doing some really great work and all of a sudden there's an 8A opportunity that pops up in the Navy and you've got some intelligence on it, then hey, maybe there's that's an opportunity to bring that teaming partner over from the Fort Hood work you were doing over into the Navy because you're doing work with them. You've won a couple of contracts, you trust them, you like them, and it just makes sense for you to do that. Again, rinse and repeat at this point. I'm going to stop here with kind of the path for people that are new to government contracting. This path will get you really, really far. Again, your first 12, 36 months, this is a lot of what you're going to do over and over and over again. But for a lot of people, if you have trouble with any of this stuff, this is what I was talking about earlier. If you need help, there's a couple of ways we can help you. We can help you with our federal access program. We have a corporate level there, which is what I call the do-it-yourself level. Corporate is access to about 100 different templates, about 200 different documents, all critical stuff with strategy on how to do this stuff, in-depth templates and things that you need. There's training videos. Uh, there's email support, there's on-demand webinars, all kinds of stuff that can really help you with this. So just go visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers and you can learn more about that program. There's also coaching options on there. So if you really need somebody to hold your hand and coach you through all of this, whether it's just answering a bunch of questions for you or helping you develop your strategy, all of that is over at that website. So just go visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. If you have any questions, you know how to reach me, and I'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Game Changers.